You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey guys, Aaron Broverman here just to tell you about our sponsor, Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula is our original sponsor. They're the OG sponsor. They were here in the very beginning when we were just a fledgling comic book show done out of some guy's bedroom. But they have some amazing product for you. Just go down to their store at 3456 Young Street and you can get your role-playing games. You can get your comic books, of course. You can get your tabletop games. They have everything. We got Pokemon cards. We've got Star Wars miniatures. They just have everything that you could possibly want. Plus, Leon, their owner, is an amazing dude. He uh, He's very honest and uh, he'll get you everything you need. And uh, they have an amazing new space there at 3456 Young Street. So you got to go down. You got to check out their merchandise. Sometimes they have weekly live role-playing games, some Magic the Gathering stuff. They're doing championships all the time. You've probably seen a lot of their stuff on our social media because we try to promote them any way we can because without them we wouldn't be able to put this podcast together for you so please if you're local to Toronto and even if you're not look them up at www.harryt.com and uh, check them out at 3456 Young Street and tell them Aaron sent you You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. Follow us on social media at SpeechBubblePod. Don't forget to uh, rate and subscribe to our show on uh, Apple Podcasts because it helps people find out more about us and uh, follow the new episodes that are coming out. With me today is Casey Parsons. Casey is an up-and-coming indie artist. He's working on a very, very exciting new Canadian project spearheaded by a lot of past guests on our show, from Shane Heron to Ricky Lima to Sam Noir. All your favorite indie Toronto artists are working on this book. It's called Cauldron Magazine, and I liken it to sort of a Canadian version of heavy metal. It's sort of a horror fantasy anthology that's sort of in that spirit. It's uh, published in a sort of large magazine format. The Kickstarter for it was funded in like a day. So people in Canada and, and all around the world are hungry for this sort of thing. They must have seen all the work on the Kickstarter and shit themselves because there was so much amazing, <laughs> amazing work. But uh, that's not all he does. I mean, that's the main thing we're going to be talking about. But uh, he's also uh, a partner in a comic shop called Comic One Books in Stony Creek. So we're going to talk about the transition between being uh, sort of a part owner in a comic shop to then becoming uh, an artist yourself. 
himself. He's worked for a indie book called Blood Moon, which we're going to talk about. And his first uh, sort of ongoing uh, illustration work was in the last Toronto Comics Anthology, which just came out. The new one, As Good as Gold. You might remember that some of the people we've had on the podcast, they also got their start at the Toronto Comics Anthology. I, in fact, had a piece in the Toronto Comics Anthology. So I'm not going to say that anyone can get in, but you, you got you to gotta work hard to get in there. But uh, that was in Young at Heart, which is the one before the one that Casey's in, which is called As Good as Gold. So uh, enough talk from me. Let's talk to him. How are you doing, Casey? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. It's, it's wonderful to have you. Uh, how I started hearing about you was because you did the variant cover for a very popular indie book that was uh, kickstarted this year called Morris, which is a yes. cowboy uh, book uh, for my my friend Shane Heron created, and he's very enamored with this sort of Wilford Brimley sheriffish character <laughs> who defends this small western town from a bunch of. Uh, I guess they're like dinosaur lizard men who wear leather pants. They're called the Komodo <laughs> boys. And he was like, Casey Parsons, he did the variant cover and uh, he's amazing. You got to have him on the podcast. He's got to come in. He's got to talk about Cauldron. We had to have him. He's an amazing artist. Shane keeps just saying that uh, you're his like new favorite artist out there. So I'm like, I got to meet this guy. I got to figure out what he's all about. So that's. That's why you're on the show, basically. Yeah, Shane is a very disturbed individual, so take everything he says with a <laughs> grain of salt. All right, I will. I <laughs> but he's very kind. Very I kind. already tried to. I already tried to. <laughs> but then I found out doing research about you that uh, you, you sort of, your partner in a comic shop, yes. like you were telling me, off the air. And I'm like, well, how does that even happen? So I wanted to ask you, like, how did you get involved in... Uh, being part of a comic shop. It's funny. Um, I've kind of been getting into comics in reverse sort of way. I worked for Comic One Books, the original store, when I was in high school and uh, became very close with the owner, like good friends. I stayed friends with him uh, and he, he passed away, unfortunately, in 2013. Um, and that's when we didn't want to see the store disappear, me and a couple of friends. So we did whatever we could to keep it going. And we had to move locations, renovate, and it's still running. It's in Stony Creek. And that's uh, through that store, I've been able to have guests, artists and writers. So I've, I've been lucky to have um, some good people. Like I've had Chip Zdarsky at the store. Uh, we're hoping to get Adam Gorman soon if, if possible. Uh, but Shane was one of the guests. We had a, we had a big, um, Mike Ruth was there as well, uh, showed up kind of last minute, but it was good. We had about seven or eight people. It was like Andrea McFarland, Shane Amato, um, Ricky was there, Ricky Lima. Um, we had Hugh Rookwood came. It was, they called it the Artpocalypse, and it was just this, uh, I packed everybody, and it's a tiny store. <laughs> so we just had, a, it took up the whole, basically, back of the room with just people shoulder to shoulder, to shoulder sketching and signing. It was so much fun. And that's how I kind of got to know Shane and, and Ricky and, um, you know, a little bit better. And the relationship developed from there, and then they started to see what I could do. And and I, I knew about Black Hole Hunters Club. I had another friend, Josh Deck, who uh, did a variant cover for Black Hole Hunters back in the day. I was close friends with him. Black Hole Hunters Club is uh, Shane Heron and Ricky Lima's uh, alien assassin book that they do. That's right. If, if you haven't read it, check it out. It's, it's a wonderful book. 
um, and I hope they continue with it. It's it's gotten seven, eight issues or more, and uh, and then they also put out another trade uh, with other artists working on stories. Uh, yeah, little short stories that are in that same yeah, universe. Yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful book. So I, I always thought, well, that would be great. You know, I'd love to do a cover or, or a pinup for the book. And I, I just basically asked Shane, like, because he was um, working on this new book, Morris. And I said, you know, can I do something for Black Hole Hunters? And he mentioned Morris. And then, you know, I'd love to do a pinup for you or, or something. I was just, I'm, I'm eager and hungry to get my work out there now. Um, so it was just a good opportunity. And these, these were good guys. Um, and I like the idea of Morris, like it's a hilarious concept and it has so much potential. Like you say, the Wilford Brimley character, this, this kind of like, you know, dumpy Clint Eastwood guy in, in some kind of, uh, steampunk sort of world. But there's, there's, like you say, the lizard men in leather pants. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful, <laughs> <laughs> only someone as warped as Shane could <laughs> you know, come up with this concepts so, totally yeah. yeah so what got you into uh illustrating and wanting to do these pinups and 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 stuff like that were you always an artist i would say yes i grew up i was about maybe two and a half years old at my grandparents house watching the incredible hulk and it was in french but i didn't really care he just basically changed ran around growling and, and fought people like the hulk wasn't saying a heck of a lot on the tv show but from that show i ended up wanting the comics and the toys and I followed the Incredible Hulk and I wanted to draw him but I was always drawing I was drawing nature and all kinds of things since childhood and I kind of go between fine art and comic stuff um, and I eventually you know after high school I went to Sheridan um, and I was there in, in the class with Mike Ruth and, and Chip Zdarsky and Eric Kim, like a number of guys that have you know it's been really nice uh, kind of seeing them in the comic industry again and then I also took visual arts at uh, Mac and got a BA in that. And I was teaching for a while, um, but I stuck with art. After Sheridan, I, I got a little bit disillusioned um, and kind of was getting into fine art. I really wanted to just hone my skills, drawing and painting um, and, and stuck with that for a good 10, 15 years, pretty much. Um, and now since the comic store happened in 2013, that got me back into like really wanting to make comics. I used to make some in high school, even I was selling them around the high school, like printing them myself, these wacky little horrible comics, but people seemed to really like, and they were doing well and I was having a lot of fun, but I wasn't sure I could ever do it seriously. I'd never felt ready to jump in. I kind of wish I did now, but <laughs> You know, but I, but I think it was worth it taking my time and, and you know, I'm, I'm getting up there now. I'm 41 now, but I'm and just trying to jump into this crazy industry. Um, but I'm loving it so far. I mean, things are going well. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. So when you, like, took over the shop, I mean, what do, like, customers of comic shops not know about, like, the business of comics? Like, what happens behind the scenes oh it's, like a retailer perspective it has to be one of the uh, uh just most bizarre business models it is such a wacky industry um i think you have to love it you have to love the product and the hobby uh and and have a real respect for the medium to to be involved in a comic shop i like you don't go into it to make money basically <laughs> some people are very lucky and they do like they're very good at, at business and things like that but it's 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 really a labor of love 
Um, and there is a lot of work behind the scenes, but it's fun. Um, you know, every every week when the new books come in, it's like Christmas morning, right? You see your new toys and books coming in. Right. And you get to order all those things you, you want, right? You know, and there are perks, but but it's not a huge moneymaker. People don't really know behind the scenes like that. The, the markups are very little. It's hard to, like, you have American prices on the covers. And then you have to compete with other stores that are, you know, like, how, how much do you bump it up to the Canadian price? Right. And for the longest time, we held on. We tried to be the last store that changed our prices. Like, we were selling selling it at American uh, prices, which was nuts. But, um, you know, we, we just never wanted to gouge customers because we just we just really wanted to keep the store going. It wasn't about making big profits. Um, so, like, our hearts, I think, were in the right place at this store, and it's made it sort of work. Mm. Just loving comics and um, the creators and writers. And, 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 you know, we never got into CGCing books and things like that. Uh, like, we love... Like when we were kids, you bought a comic, you know, you read it and you read it again. You know, the, the ones you loved like are just destroyed because you read them so much. You know, right. you just love those artists and writers and you can't leave them alone and they stay with you. They become your friends sort of thing. Yeah. And we wanted to keep that, right? We wanted to invite younger people and you get new readers and, and keep that magic alive. Right. That's sort of our job, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's it's really a magical thing because there's so many different formulas. Mm -hmm. Some people are putting like coffee shops try try to get like new yeah. audience. Like the Sidekick in. is a very like nice. The Sidekick's yeah. a very good store that I, my, my favorite store. Uh, even the Silver Snails trying mm -hmm. to get people to stick around through that kind of thing. So there's strategies that are happening. Mm -hmm. There's different focuses at comic shops that I'm seeing. Like some people are into indie books. Some people are into back issues. Right. Some people are into variants. Like if you go to Gotham Central, they're yes. all about the variants, right? Yes. So, I mean, what would you say is what you're doing? You seem to be, from what you're saying, like a more pure classic style comic We shop. try. I mean, it's impossible to just be uh, absolutely pure, as you say. Um, again, you're still working with um, a distributor that has a monopoly. You're working with Diamond. Um, right. And that's basically your one source for material. So they have absolute sort of control over your product, um, unless you're outsourcing the other things like supplies and, and, and whatnot. And you're also relying on your weekly subscribers um, and getting the Marvel and DC comics. And that's, that's kind of your bread and butter for the store. Um, beyond that, I tried really hard um, to push indie comics. Like I believe in new creators and new artists and, and trying to help out. Like the store provided that great venue to promote, to have guest artists, like to help when new books come out like Morris or Cauldron or, or whatever. Um, and I remember, you know, I, I would want the same thing for myself, like, like stores to be able to take me in and help me out, get started, get, get people to know who I am. You never know where that next fan is going to come from, your next supporter, or who you're going going to affect in a, in a positive way. And the store is just a, a really good place to do that. So having that that sort of comic house kind of thing, you know, where you can invite your guests, mm -hmm. um, was was really a wonderful thing. Like I was very lucky to have you know be a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So after you left Sheridan, did you try to like? break into comics in the classic way like did you go to cons and show up your portfolio and do all that sort of stuff i i didn't no i um i was still getting comics i was still interested in comics i was still you know my local stony creek shop even though i lived in oakville was my store um and i kind of kept in touch like in and out with comics um still always loved the medium it's such a unique medium 
but I didn't try and break right into the industry. I was going to some of the cons. I, you know, went to an early TCAF and things like that. Always interested in meeting artists. Like that was kind of my thing. And, you know, maybe digging around for old rampaging Hulk magazines or something. Uh, and it was, it was interesting seeing the cons develop over the years. And they've really grown into something pretty wild. Yeah, I didn't try and break into the comic industry. I, I, again, I, was, I started getting disillusioned by the illustration side of things and, and the business side of things. Um, there, were, there were parts of Sheridan and the teaching, like, and don't get me wrong, because it was the place to be and, and a, an incredible people, you know, very good instruction, instruction and, and lessons that I will carry with me throughout my life. But there were some aspects of it that are almost like a rash that, you know, you try and get rid of, you know, uh, <laughs> some teachings that I try and forget and get out of my system. And, and I became uh, more enamored with fine art. So I was doing a lot of um, more like landscape paintings and portraits and, and uh, from life and following a couple brilliant teachers that I became friends with. And I was trying the fine art game for a while. And which was a very difficult racket as well. Yeah. Sounds like you've been through the ringer a little bit with the art stuff. Yeah, I've tried just about everything. I've I've done illustration a little bit. Um, even recently, last year I did a, a, a beer label and uh, I've done the odd little private, you know, sort of company stuff. Um, but, you know, very, very random things like that. I was trying to more sell paintings and landscapes and just do my own thing. And I really just wanted to be better at drawing and painting and, and really feel ready. You know, I'm, I'm, we're always kind of our own hardest critic and I'm, I'm self-critical. So I never did feel ready. I always look at other guys in, in the comic industry and other uh, um, art genres and uh, always feel like, how are they doing this? You know, and like I, I just never felt like I could just lock down a single way of working that was felt comfortable and, and I never quite felt ready. I, I feel a little more ready now <laughs> uh, as far as comics go. I, I was practicing making like pinups, you know, doing the superhero pinup thing and going to fan expo selling, you know, your Prince of Spider-Man and Harlequin. Um, and those pinups kind of allowed me to kind of work on how, you know, I draw and paint with within comics making right. these illustrations so you're getting sort of the practice and you're getting your bearings by going to yes. conventions yeah. and stuff yeah. like that yeah that's cool yeah and 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 the conventions are a great place to meet other artists and see how they work and ask them questions um and and you know guys like you doing the podcast and things like that right you can get to their niche i mean you look them up and you you listen to how people work and like, what materials are they using and, and we're in a an age that's pretty great with youtube you can watch people work now and, and show and give you little tips um and it just speeds everything up so you don't have to figure it out all yourself so what made you go from like because it was sort of later in life that you found comics again through the store and through yeah. the illustrations so what made you ask like like okay i want to do this comic thing now i want to kind of transition out of being part of the store into like i want to be an artist and i want to do comics i'm not just doing fine art i'm doing i'm going to do comics now right i guess i have big dreams where i kind of want to dabble in everything like i would love to write an opera one day if i could <laughs> there's there's a comic uh, writer who's doing that cecil casalucci wrote an there opera, you go. and she also does uh, Sh Shade the Changing Woman, so well, that's possible for the precedent people. has been set. Then yeah, why yeah, not? Yeah. Um, my original approach that it stuck with me too when I went to Sheridan. Part of that was 
I wanted to learn how to draw and paint really well and in a fine art sense and then apply that to comics. There's very few guys in the comic industry that are doing that. I mean, you think of guys like Kent Williams or Bill Sienkiewicz or, um, you know, you had guys like Frazetta. Yeah, Dave McKean is yeah, doing that. And then you go farther back to the EC guys who were sort of classically trained and were looking at guys like N.C. Wyeth and the Brandywine artists, um, you know, and doing life drawing and things like that. And they were, took that training and applied it to comics. The Canadian Hal Foster, a brilliant, brilliant work. Um, that guy really knew how to draw, like great anatomy and architecture and everything was solid with great emotion and he and he just made it work for the comics medium so i'd like to be able to find that balance like between fine art and comics and when i went to sheridan that was the idea i would i would take what i could learn from fine art and apply it into the comics medium nice. so not just learn about making comics from reading comics mm -hmm. the best way you know to draw is to look at life going on around you to to go to nature back to nature back to the classics back to the masters right uh the art galleries and things right like um and that's where you're going to learn the most. And and there's guys now, like, I'm, I'm a huge admirer right now of Jason Sean Alexander. Uh, so he's been a massive inspiration. Like, he's basically changed the way I've been working. Um, and he's been able to find that balance between fine art and comics. Um, so he'll go to his canvas, throw a bit of acrylic and ink on there, and, and you know, do this kind of portraits of um, models he has that come to his studio and then he'll go over and do a comics page and, and almost working the same kind of way but it but he's found that kind of balance with the with two different completely ways of thinking and working like I don't think I could be drinking scotch and doing fine art but uh, comics you kind of can <laughs> right, right right so do you think you found that balance as well not yet but I I think I'm getting there I think I'm slowly kind of figuring that out yeah Cool. Yeah. Cool. So what does it take? Like, do you, do you have to have, like, I'm doing one fine art thing and then I'm doing one comic thing? Or like when you approach a page with the panel and like break it down, mm -hmm. what principles come from comics and what principles come from fine art? Is it just the style? Right. Because cause they don't completely translate in a clean way. Right. Um, comics are doing something unique. You're reading visually. Mm -hmm. So there's the sequential aspect um the, like your eye follows a page the way it might follow a singular painting right but there's also like th the element of time is passing or characters are doing things and there's you know it has to uh, balance with the writing as well so you've got your word balloons or your captions and whatnot um and i still don't know if that's quite been figured out in a perfect way like scott mcleod talks about all that stuff brilliantly um and balancing the word and the picture, which which is the, in essence illustration, right? Um, but when it comes to the panel itself, or when you're drawing a figure, or when you're drawing a building, or drawing anything, um, that's where your fine art training comes in. So to to learn a bit of anatomy, to to do life drawing, and then apply that. So I'm not going in with oil paints necessarily on a painting. I mean, and, and it's weird to go from, say, painting or drawing to, uh, you know, drawing with Conte and, and then switching over to ink. Like, it's such a different way of thinking. And that was that was a tough thing, like, to almost, like, relearn how to draw with inks now. Right. Um, that, that was kind of an interesting thing. And I've been having a lot of fun playing with that. So, I'm using, like, trying out all these different um, 
uh, like correction pens to do white on top of the black and, and, and finding different ways of blending, you know, like using the toothbrush and, and washes and all sorts of things. So I'm getting really messy. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun playing around and exploring. Like that's, that's kind of the fun side of art, not knowing what's going to happen, but just attacking a page and seeing what happens. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, making those mistakes and then trying to correct them. And it sounds like you're getting involved in some pretty wacky projects. So yeah. everything is a little bit fun. You can attack different things, different ways, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, Cauldron, I think has been just a perfect vehicle for me. It was like the right book at the right time. Like all the things came together just because they just kind of said, let's let Casey go. Like, just give him something and let him just see what happens. Like, just give him sort of freedom to just go nuts on something, right? Like, make it dark and crazy. And I was just itching to to do that. Yeah, I think Shane, he saw, he saw potential in you. And whenever he sees something in someone, he's like, I want to give them, like, the freedom to do yeah. what they do. You know what I mean? And that's a rare and, you know, very appreciated thing on my end. Um yeah, Shane has been great. Sam Noir has been great. Like those guys have just been, you know, throwing my name all over the place and, and uh, introducing me to people and you know, promoting me. And, and like, I wouldn't be here, right, without those guys. Right, so, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about Cauldron, though, because this is like super exciting. It's right. the first time we've ever talked about it on the podcast. Um, when I heard that Shane and Sam and and I think Chris was there, Chris Yao uh, and Ricky were doing this. Mm -hmm. I got really excited. We, I think I, we were out for dinner once, went for a Korean barbecue or something, and I started <laughs> hearing these rumblings of a secret project. And then Shane's like, oh, like you, you can tell him, you can tell him. And then before long, there was this Kickstarter for this like basically it's a canadian version of heavy metal like that's the most simple way that i can describe it where people can sort of have it in their heads that that's kind of what you guys are what you guys are doing yeah this no holds barred sort of fantasy sci-fi horror anthology that's right that's sort of rated r for adults and uh you can kind of take it anywhere and they just kick-started the first one so tell me about cauldron why do you think people should pick it up why did you get involved in it what's your story in it tell me all about this um i'll go back to just kind of its inception um again things just coincided in such a wonderful way i was i had george todorovsky at the shop and he had shown me he had done um, a little thing for heavy metal back in the day he got into heavy metal and i was pretty inspired by that. I thought, wow, like, you know, that he got into there. I just thought that'd be so cool to, to try and do that, just to make something and, and heavy metal picks it up and likes it. So I thought it'd be nice to do just a short story. And I was at a point too where I wanted to try like a big project, but I didn't feel ready. So I thought I should do some smaller projects, you know, get my feet wet a little bit and, and, you know, try out a few different things first. And I, I had talked to Shane and I believe Sam about that. Like I just wanted to do a small project and I wanted, you know, be nice to do something kind of gritty and with a bit of horror, like just kind of go nuts on something. And they said, you know, well, that's, you know, quite interesting. I guess they had been talking about this cauldron idea. It, at the time it didn't have a name, but they were talking about doing an anthology, like, and they looked at things like the Toronto Comics Anthology and thought, well, 
I wonder if we could do that. I wonder if we could put an anthology together and uh, and kind of do it our way and with a bit of you know a totally different flavor and different design and and things. But I guess they just felt like they wanted to write and, and put something together in a similar vein, like you say, like heavy metal. Uh, you know, and thinking back to th- like the eerie magazine and creepy magazines, and right, fan, right, you know. Um, and Frazetta, you know, all that horror stuff. And when, you know, and thinking of when you were like 15, 16 and, and finding books like that and wanting to hide them from your mom, like you didn't want your mom to see heavy metal, you know, so you'd put it under your bed, you know. So we want that kind of feeling like the, we want to grab these readers like, oh, that looks like something I shouldn't read, you know, <laughs> but it looks so amazing. I just want to like take it home and, you know, and dive into it. Totally. Yeah. So we're hoping for that kind of feeling. I th- I think the Kickstarter is is kind of proof that that feeling. I think we've we've kind of hit the mark. We I think we've filled a need for this. I think people have wanted something like this, and creators I think are just flocking to it as well because like they they're just itching to do a project like this. And you know I one of my goals was to be in the Toronto Comics Anthology, and I and I got there. I did that. But then as soon as I heard about this Cauldron thing, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this is what I really want to do. Like, this is the thing. So, like, when you can get somebody like me who's sort of casually involved in the comic book industry, Mm -hmm. is a journalist, sort of balancing a lot of different things, not really committed to any one thing in comics, but trying to keep their foot still in it, and I'm excited about it, (laughs) like, then you know that, like, if somebody as casual as me is excited about it, this has got to be well, there you something, go. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's oh. it's just amazing. Like, and I like that it's Canadian. The fact that like all the creators, it's Canadian driven and that sort of thing. That's kind of cool as well, right? Of course, if you're gonna do it right, you know, it's got to be Canadian. Yeah, I would think. Um, I I felt that way too because I like you mentioned earlier. I got into. The Osgood is Gold, the last Toronto Comics Anthology. And I feel like that was wonderful. It was an honor. I was so happy to be picked because it was like a record number of people applying to get into that book. Right. I'm like, I, I have no chance, right? And I'm, I'm nobody. I have nothing published. Like, who am I to get into this book? And then I got picked and people didn't know who I was. Um, and, uh, you know, but I felt like when I worked on that piece, I had to kind of adjust my sensibilities and adjust the flavor of of the way i I work like i had to kind of like there was boundaries and restrictions basically right um and you had to kind of cater to the specific audience that it's trying to reach um or cauldron it's all those shackles are off yeah like like you're just you get to run wild and and cauldron is still i think figuring out what it is like you said like it's it's blending that supernatural fantasy horror i kind of think of almost like uh, if you know the term like a grand guignol um that uh, french sort of horrific theater it, it can be it, it's finding its feet and i think it's kind of open to if a creator has a good story they want to um showcase this could be the place to do it the next uh, so a future story i'm working on is based on greek mythology like it has a bit of dark elements but it's not really sexual it's not really horror it's not really fantasy necessary i mean it's it's ancient religion right it's classical mythology right but but somehow i think it fits really well into the cauldron book and i can i can try something a little bit different where this wouldn't otherwise probably not see the light of day or wouldn't be printed anywhere else right because mainstream publishing houses it's it's either too risque for them or they mm-hmm. don't know where things quite fit because there's nothing like this here yeah yeah you know 
And we have that R rating in a sense. I mean, there's, we just didn't want to put any restrictions on it. And, and I'd like to see more uh, females getting involved. I think that's happening. Because um, I just, uh, you know, we just want it to be open. Let's, let's see what people could really do. If, like, what would be your passion story to tell, right? Like a short story. And we didn't even have a restriction on pages necessarily. I believe Sam Noir's is about 12 pages. Mine ended up being nine. Um, it could have been 10. And I left a little bit more room for Sam to kind of beef his out. And, and really, I just would, it just would have been another pinup I would have thrown in there to make it 10. But so it didn't hurt the story in any way. And it worked out well doing the nine pages. And then I also did the cover. Which was which was a rare treat because I didn't know I was doing the cover originally. Yeah, the cover is amazing. <laughs> it's like this red psychedelic. Uh, there's like a there's like a naked topless witch girl thing on there, which I which I kind of serpentine love. coming serpentine out of a, coming out of this red pool of something. Yeah, it's insane. And then they've got like the '70s '60s style yeah. lettering with yeah. the cauldron logo. Like this is something from. Like a heavy metal magazine or, or like the rock magazines yeah. that you used to look at or like, you know, things around like Alice Cooper and like those sorts of bands. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like Aleister Crowley and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. A bit it, of occult. Yeah, exactly. Sure. There's a lot of <laughs> occult stuff. I mean, next thing you know, you're going to be like mixing your blood in the ink or something like like kiss you never it. know yeah <laughs> i've i've found out that uh, over time blood will disappear though you don't want to uh, it'll kind of stain <laughs> right uh but <laughs> whatever you put down doesn't really have a good uh, shelf life i don't think yeah yeah for um, sure i wonder what those copies of that that kiss comic are like now i don't know and it's funny with the cover um it was almost like a series of happy accidents in a way it, like this whole project almost like it almost has a mind of its own like it 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 there's something beyond us that has put all this together in a funny way um because i wasn't the first choice for the cover but it was just it was getting close to the deadline and and other people had other commitments and things and i was kind of a backup plan so they eventually did come to me and said like okay like you're on um we just basically need like a cover from you in a couple of days or as quickly as possible so they can work on the logos and things like that. It wasn't like huge pressure, but a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So I, I gave them that painting in, in, in two days um, and they wanted it in a very Frazetta style. Like, like I said, you know, would you like a Frazetta style thing? Like, cause we wanted to, we wanted it to echo and be a tribute to those, you know, kind of hopefully like a, um, a positive nod to the, the old books like creepy and eerie and, and such and, and heavy metals. Right. Um, so hopefully the cover does that. Uh, and I, I tried really hard to make it a Frazetta ish, um, um cover mm -hmm. on purpose. Cause it's not exactly how I would work, but I had a lot of fun with it. And it just, just a weird idea came in my head. It should be, you know, there should be some red in there. It's gotta be, you know, kind of the half naked woman sort of thing. And, and, and just to be fair, I put like a naked guy on there as well. <laughs> hmm. Um, and just kind of go really kind of wild with the colors and make it just dark and not really sure what's happening and has nothing really to do with what's inside the book necessarily, but it can, and it does like a story could be told about that later on. Right. Um, but we wanted to kind of, it's the first thing you're going to see of the first issue and, and kind of set a mood, set an idea, like, could this be horror? Could it be fantasy? It could be all those things. Um, so the cover's supposed to tell that story and the logo as well. 
um, I believe was designed for promotional piece for college. And it was, it was, there was going, going to be some sort of psychedelic type of poster um, to promote cauldron and, and the logo was designed for that, but we but we just kind of loved it. And that ended up being the, uh, the logo that stuck. Yeah, man. It, it's awesome. I predict that when it comes out, when the Kickstarter, uh, you know, requisitions start being fulfilled, mm-hmm. uh, people are going to want it in their stores. Like, I, I think this is going to come off the shelves. It's going to be super, super eye catching. I mean, I, I can't wait. Like what are, what are some of the stories that we'll be seeing. Uh, what's your story? Either. My story, it was written by Ricky Lima and we collaborated a little bit um, just till we kind of agreed on a subject, subject matter and the kind of feel we wanted to get. Um, we were thinking of uh, movies like The Witch um, uh, and things like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. And I would say the story is, is a little bit like that. It's kind of my, my elevator pitch is that it's somewhere between John Carpenter's The Thing and Macbeth. So it's, it's a bit of horror. It's a bit of, uh, a bit of that supernatural creepiness. Um, basically it's called a King's heart and it's, it's a bit hard to describe this story. Um, but basically there's a, a castle. It's, it's sort of medieval ish. Um, um, and these witches are basically wanting their own, uh, king to kind of take over the kingdom they want to the sort of the dark powers to kind of be in control right so they get you know using their their witchcraft and and demons and such they they kind of get into the kingdom and it's called the king's heart because basically they're they have control over his heart and are able to kind of open this doorway to release uh basically hell like it's it's almost like the king's chest almost becomes like a pandora's box in a way wow (laughs) That's crazy. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So, uh, like, exactly. Like, that's the type of thing that I want to read. And, like, yeah. how many stories are in it, would you say? There's just three in the issue. Okay. So, we wanted to not have them too short. So, we thought, typically, you see, like, eight-page stories. Right. Just breaking down. And that's, you know, it's just easier for printing and such. But we wanted to, like, let the stories have some flexibility there so yeah, they can breathe. they can yeah so tell them properly mm-hmm. like give them the space they need um so whether this will be picked up again i i'm not sure but but it's a good little self-contained little sort of horror nugget you know <laughs> cool um and sam noir is working on one with uh, robert mcfreeman um and it's about basically a kaiju monster um attacking um, the shores of Japan, I believe. And, and I believe it's just one old sort of blind beggar woman that's able to kind of stop the kaiju in its tracks from destroying everything. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Be a lot of fun. It's and like- Shane's story, I'm still a little unsure, but I, I hear it's akin to like maybe a female type of Conan sort of story. Uh, yeah, but I'm not really sure what's going on with Shane's yet. He's kind of kept his in the dark for me so <laughs> cool cool but that's good like female yeah. funny is awesome that that's that's awesome so like that's really cool uh you've also worked on some other stuff like blood moon what is that mm-hmm. that was kind of um me figuring out how to make a comic book i think <laughs> um it was during my time at the store there early on uh it goes back a couple of years now and nice fellow marty berthelmer 
Um, you may have seen him at the conventions helping out uh, Walter at the Big B uh, tables. Um, he liked my work and he had this um, movie script, I guess. Um, and Marty's was actually a guy who... Um, he seemed to have a bit of clout and a bit of writing chops. He was he worked with George A. Romero and did the the, the uh, official uh, Night of the Living Dead for the stage. Oh, cool! Um, which seemed uh, sounded like it was pretty successful. And told me about you know him having scotch with George and things like that. So, and he had this uh, movie script. Most of it took place in around the 1700s. It goes from England to uh, maritime uh, America, and. Uh, there's werewolves basically like and and there's there's kind of a um i guess a bloodline of werewolves so there's like a main werewolf and um they have to kind of like sever this bloodline and there's also the bloodline with the hunters as well so it's been passed down that these hunters would have to continue hunting these werewolves and try and wipe them out and they keep looking for this main werewolf to destroy him and then you know hopefully that would end and the terror of the werewolves so it's called blood moon and uh, he broke it down into some six comics. And then I worked on, I finished uh, two issues, but issue two has not come out. Uh, it's been put on hold. There's still, uh, I have a friend working on that, coloring that. And um, so the first Kickstarter for issue one was successful and that was printed and, and published and sent out um, about a year and a half ago now, I guess, just over a year ago. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was just, it was a huge learning curve. Like, again, learning to ink, you know, how would I approach a comic book, you know, sending it to the printers. And I did the lettering, coloring, everything on that first issue. What was the biggest challenge in learning how to do a comic? Oh, man. Um, I think I think it's just almost getting that routine down, like just that self-motivating. Um, so you spend your day working solidly on a comic book. And, and it was because I was working in a new way, everything was kind of new for me. So laying out panels, you know, how someone would read the page and, and, and putting down inks. And I was very timid. So I did the whole thing in like technical pens. So I was very timid about getting a brush out or, or, you know, ink nibs and stuff. And I work traditionally, so I don't just jump into digital. Um, it's just not me. Uh, I colored it digitally, but but I don't like to draw ditch. I like to draw with traditional methods and get my fingers dirty and messy and stuff and work with paper and, you know, tactile kind of uh, artist. I'm, I'm very traditional that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, it was a challenge just trying to basically just tell the story properly and then fit it, uh, the story into the page and try and make it interesting visually. And um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> there was no part of it that wasn't challenging, really. <laughs> yeah, man, but it's good because now you're like equipped to take on this new medium in a better way than you would have been maybe I in your twenties. So. Yeah, I think it was good that I did, it. and I was at a place where I was just willing to basically work for nothing. I had I had the store going on, and it was kind of in my spare time. I just would love to have. I I thought it'd be a fun idea to own a store and then sell your own book in that store. I thought that was be kind of cool. Um, did you ac you accomplish that though? Didn't you? I did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It sold quite well in the shop. The Blood Moon. I sold maybe about 150 copies of that in the store. So that was that was really nice. Yeah. We have good people shopping there. Yeah, that's good, man. <laughs> I, I, I like it. it's like they're honest, they're supportive. That's what I like yeah. in the Toronto yeah. community too. Is like everybody is very very supportive of each other and like 
you know, there's there's comic shops for all your different tastes, but everyone seems mm-hmm. to come together and work together yeah. to make the city like a really happening place at all levels of the industry. Yeah. You know, I found the same thing out working, trying to get into comics now and meeting everybody like everybody's been so amazing. Like it wasn't that way in the fine art world, I found. Um, but but comics, um, the creators, the artists, the writers, everybody's been so kind uh, and fun, uh, supportive. Um, you know, I couldn't say enough good things. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, it's it's you know, <laughs> just making them is almost its own reward. But uh, yeah, hopefully I can make a living at this. Yeah, yeah it'd be it'd be great. <laughs> I mean, you're already on your way. I think. You know, people are seeing the stuff that you've done, like for Morris and this cover, like crazy for Cauldron. So thank you. You know, we need artists that have like different styles and mm-hmm. have like a more like painterly fine art type type mm-hmm. style. And so I, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I think people are gonna see your work and be like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> and then they're gonna be like, you know, K- Casey Parsons, and they're gonna be like, "Is that a guy or a girl?" And, and it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great, man. I'm okay to keep them guessing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm gonna be worried anyhow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just the way just the way we are, I guess. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming in. Like, I can't wait until. Cauldron comes out. I can't wait to see other stuff that you've got working going on. You told me a little bit that you have something working out with uh, Sam Noir that you're still yeah, kind of a couple projects in the works. I can't really say too much yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming out, and uh, I I can't wait. Like when when Cauldron comes out, I'm totally going to be promoting it on the social media because I'm a I'm a backer, so I guess I'm oh, a little bit biased. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, until then, though, like, we'll see you guys next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. Logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.